0: Well, hello again and welcome to another edition of Two Ways News. I'm Tony Payne. And I'm Philip Chinson. And it's great to be back with you again this week. And, Philip, great to have you back.
1: Yes, we're back in the new year properly now, aren't we?
0: We are. And one of the things that's been impossible to avoid over the last couple of weeks as the year has started has been the news of the death of Cardinal George Pell. It was sudden and unexpected, wasn't it? It was, especially so soon after the death of the previous Pope. And it's also been impossible to avoid... Just a flood of articles and commentary about him, about his death, about his legacy, his tainted legacy, as it's often referred to.
1: Yes, well. He's been one of the most prominent Australians, not only in Australia but in the world. I mean, they say I don't understand these things, but they say he's the was the third most senior cardinal or Catholic in the world. Well. Not many Australians have risen up to that kind of world stage importance and uh, certainly he was the epitome of Catholicism in Australia for a a generation.
0: And amidst all those articles, and so it's understandable that there's been a lot of comment and especially because he's been a controversial figure, because there's been some massive public issues about him.
1: A polarising figure, they say, and in a sense you see that in that the articles are either all for him or all against him. It's uh, There's not many articles that have, I felt, carried a balanced opinion. And certainly not many articles that you would say were written from
0: the perspective of a Protestant Christian or an evangelical Christian.
1: No, I, I saw one from Barney Schwartz who acknowledged he was a Protestant, but I think that's the only one that I've seen from a, a Protestant viewpoint. It'd be interesting to talk about
0: it, and that's what I want to ask you about today, because... Not only would it be good to think about how do we respond as evangelical Protestants um, to the death of such a significant figure and to his legacy and all the issues that surround that, but also how do we talk to our friends when our friends say, "What do you, you're a Christian, what do you think of Cardinal Pell?
1: Yes, they don't differentiate between Christians these days. So it's not like, well, you're a Protestant, so you wouldn't have an opinion. If you're a churchgoer, well, you're a Christian uh, he was a Christian, therefore you'd have an opinion about him because you're a Christian.
0: Indeed. So let's say someone is asking you about, what do you think about George Pell? What sort of attitude would, you're a
1: Christian, what sort of attitude would you have to George Pell? Where would you start? Well, yes, I, it's, it's hard to have a one-liner that is going to satisfy the hearer. You, you can avoid the issue by saying, oh, well, he was a Catholic, I'm a Protestant. But that means that I haven't taken up with the opportunity of talking about the gospel. Um, but when I want to talk about someone like George Pell, you actually do need to sit down and think through several issues, which I thought it would be good for us to do today.
0: Because it is complicated. It's not the sort of thing... We tend to function these days, unfortunately, by just having a meme or a one-liner, or you have your attitude to the person, it's very simple, and you stake your claim and that's where you stand. But people are rarely that straightforward and simple. I mean, if someone was going to judge my life afterwards... There's all kinds of things you could say you, that you'd like to be judged by, but of course at that point you're not around to defend yourself or say
1: anything, are you? That's right. You should not You should not speak ill of the dead. That's an old maxim, but it's a good one um, because, you know, when people have died, you feel like it's time to make the judgment because there's nothing more they can do. There's no, the life has now started, been, and finished. But we're not God, and what we know about a person is tiny, I mean, Paul writes, doesn't he, in 1 Corinthians uh, 4, that he doesn't even judge himself, that it's on the last day that God is going to bring out the motivations of the heart. And so you, you take a life like George Pell's, what do you know about it? How much do you know about I read a couple of articles from people who were very positive towards him, which showed me all kinds of things in his life that I really didn't know at all, i had never come across. I mean... He was a defender of the underground church in China. I didn't know he actually went to China. He made a big part of uh, writing the curriculum of of Catholic schools and uh, their teaching programs and producing books. Uh, He was the founder of two universities in Australia, the Catholic University and Notre Dame University. I mean, there's not many Australians that have founded one university, let alone two universities. Um, You know, he was the organiser of the World uh, Catholic Youth Day back in 2008, well, there somewhere between three hundred and five hundred thousand and 500,000 people went to it. I mean, the man did all kinds of things, but yet the articles in the paper only refer to a couple of things that matter to them. And, you know, I wouldn't want to be judged just on a couple of things in my lifetime. Uh, and we've got to be careful, I think, about judging a man on things that we think are important because they're important to us
0: so there are important things that he would have achieved in his life like any significant man and it sounds like he was a very able and intelligent and active
1: and significant person he was a great writer and i look back in life there are things there are conversations i've had that have made a profound impact upon individuals Well, how many thousands of conversations do you think a man like George Pell would have had that have influenced for good or possibly for ill all kinds of people? But it's, it's, I'm glad God is our judge rather than our public opinions.
0: Most of the public opinion has gathered around two big issues. And when someone asks us what we think of George Pell, in a sense, it's code for what we think of these two issues, and it's hard to avoid them. One is the general response of the Roman Catholic Church to institutional child sexual abuse, and, of course, his own conviction subsequently overturned for for sexual abuse. Those two big issues, it's hard to avoid talking about them. How can we talk about those with respect to someone who has
1: died? First and foremost, with child sexual abuse, we really just need to be absolutely clear up front and straightforward that it is an evil, thoroughly, utterly contemptible evil. There is no possibility of justification for you know, man-boy love or, or look at the Greeks, weren't they wonderful or whatever it may be. Treating children sexually is an evil that deserves uh, to be punished. But but our society, you see, has moved away from punishing evil to looking at consequences, see if the consequences are deleterious to people, and then complain about it. It was always an evil. It always should have been punished. There is no justification for it. However, when you do look at the consequences, it's different to what we expected. I think back in the 20th century... People thought that uh, child sexual offences would be forgotten by the children. And what we have seen, and now <laughs> the overwhelming evidence is... It's
0: very apparent, isn't it?
1: ...that it affects people for the rest of their lives. It has terrible consequences. Now, it should have been punished anyway, even without these consequences. When you see the consequences, you've got to feel for the... the the victims or now as we call them survivors because they have gone through terrible things not just at that point when the offence happened but consequently coming to terms with having had that offence and our support and care for them has to be the first and foremost thing that we say when the subject comes up because of George Pell you can't in any way Airbrush out the widespread, uh, I, I don't know about you, Tony, but I found just the appalling magnitude that the Royal Commission brought out of the widespread abuse of children in institutions. It's horrific! We, we just can't airbrush that out of history. It's like you know, Germans trying to airbrush out the Holocaust or something, it, you just can't do that. It just was enormous, was the problem. And
0: the Roman Catholic Church was prominent within that Royal Commission, whether that was entirely because of the, pre- the prevalence was greater within the Roman Catholic Church, or whether there was any bias there, I don't know the details well enough to say, but certainly one of the reasons that his death, that Cardinal Pell's death, is such a, I was going to say trigger, such a such a terrible effect on people's emotions who've experienced abuse is that he stood for and represented the institution that was most significantly involved in the abuse, abuse, certainly according to the Royal Commission.
1: Yes. I mean, the buck stops somewhere. He is the most senior member of this institution. What has he done about it um, is a, a fair question to be put. I mean, you can you can critique, and I've read some critiques of the Royal Commission in terms of the bias, and uh, there's, there's, I can see some substance in it, but whether there was bias or not, there was a problem with Roman Catholicism <laughs> that was massive, and you're right, Cardinal Pell becomes the, you know, the lightning rod for this, and so anybody who at this point in time, rights in defence of Cardinal Pell's life and judgement will immediately arouse the the outrage of those who were the victims of Roman Catholic abuse. Which is understandable. Totally understandable and in a sense, uh, I don't know whether reasonable is the right word to say, but yes, I, I think I'll stick with you. Totally understandable that that would be the case.
0: In these kinds of circumstances, it's... Reasonable is not even the sort of right category. Sometimes, when the level of hurt and destruction that's happened in people's lives, there's just going to be a reaction to to his name, let alone his death, let alone yes. all the feelings that his death and all that he represented for them um, represents, all that as it comes out.
1: And then. Also, what participation did he personally have in it? Well, this is kind of the the second issue, isn't it? Well, it is the second issue, but even leaving aside his own personal accusation, as the Archbishop of Melbourne bringing in some attempt to address the issue, how much was he protecting uh, the Catholic institution from financial uh, recriminations? How much was he protecting... You know, some of the pedophiles that he knew personally, he was actually living with one of them. Um, It's too early, I feel, to write history. Generally, you write history 30 or 40 years later when some of the heat has gone out of the situation and cooler heads can bear. But that was part of the problem, that in the general issue and how it arises, people perceived him as someone personally responsible for the cover-up the institutional cover-up and that is i i don't think i want to go into arguing one way or the other about it
0: except to say that when we're talking with people you've got to understand why there's a sense of outrage and anger and hurt and on the part of those for whom this has been an issue that he stands for that and whether he responded well enough or not well
1: enough he certainly remains that figure for them. Yes, it's just so hard to work out. I mean, he was the first person to initiate a response. His response was inadequate. <laughs> it's it's easy to judge superficially later. If you were in the situation, what would you have done? 20, 30 years ago, people were only just coming to realise how bad the whole thing was. Should he have known more? Yes. Would I have known more? I don't know. (laughs) Should he have done more? It's difficult. It's easy now to say things. It's difficult then. But I don't want to whitewash and say, well, let's cover up. He was a good man. Uh, He did the best thing he could do. I just think history will be written in a little while that will give a better view.
0: When it comes to his own conviction, which is the other main thing that people will talk about and have talked about, what sort of response should we have to that? As What sort of opinion should we give? Or as we talk to people, what should we say?
1: Well, sadly, he, he and some of our listeners won't know necessarily much about Cardinal Pell, but sadly he was accused of sexually interfering with Boyce himself and was found guilty and was sent to prison uh, on appeal. He, uh, again, was continued in prison. He spent, uh, I think it's 104 days, I think I've been reading, No,
0: it was longer than that. It was more than a year.
1: Sorry, yes. Yes, 404 days. 405 days or something of that nature. And and, uh, in solitary confinement, basically most of it as well, for his own protection as much as other things. I mean, it was a terrible thing. and But when the appeal finally reached the High Court of Australia, the judges threw it out comprehensively, uh, seven to zero. Uh, Rarely do you see all the High Court getting so... Clear, and they said no. the 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 case has not been properly made, and they quashed it. and uh, He was released from prison. And but at this point, people who don't like him is polarizing. At this point, people said, "Ah, he's innocent," and others said, "No, he's not innocent. It's just he's not been found guilty." <laughs> and <sighs> See, Benjamin Franklin, amongst others, said, you know, it's better for a hundred guilty persons should escape than one innocent person should suffer. There's a sense in which locking up a man who cannot be found guilty but has been vindicated legally by the highest court in the land so comprehensively, you've got to have the presumption of innocence at this point. And it was a bad thing that we locked him up for because we did as a community, we locked him up for over a year for something that we couldn't prove that he'd ever done. Well, that is a terrible, appalling uh injustice to have taken place. You know, it's like it's like locking up uh, Mrs. Chamberlain for years for the death of her baby, which we then subsequently found out what she said all along was true, that a dingo had taken the baby. She had not killed it. And these are two of the worst cases of of mistrial, misjustice in our recent history. But it shows the, the frailty of the justice system. I mean, in one sense it shows... Ultimately, the justice system does the right thing, but it f- but it also shows the frailty of our justice system. We have to take the survivors and the and the victims' word seriously. But when it's one person's word against another, we cannot take judgment. We we can't pass judgment in that because it's one word against another. And we have got to have a presumption of innocence. Otherwise, the whole legal system really does collapse.
0: And there's a certain justice about that that the Bible reflects as well, doesn't it? And it's in the laws regarding witnesses and regarding testimony and regarding on what basis a judgment can be made.
1: Yes, that's right. Unfortunately, though, one of the big problems that we have is that the trial is not done in court by experts looking at evidence logically and properly, the trial was done by the media. The fact that this particular accusation came in the context, or in the flow, of the royal commission, and the fact that people were already antagonistic towards Cardinal Pell, and the media elements of the media anyway were particularly unhappy with him and had been for a long time for other reasons as well I may say it meant it was very difficult to get a fair trial Um, it's like the recent uh, alleged rape case in Canberra where this time not religion but politics got involved in it to such an extent that the well the court themselves had to postpone the case because they didn't think they could get a fair trial for this now. The presumption of innocence doesn't exist in the minds of journalists, and the levels of evidence that journalists require are quite clearly different to the kinds of evidences that the courts and the bias, the anti religious bias. The, the Azaria Chamberlain case was very interesting. Seventh day Adventists are not very widely accepted within the Australian community and this child seemed to have a strange name Azaria it's actually a biblical name but it seems strange and so the the, the journalistic community who are ignorant of the bible and ignorant of christianity and ignorant of something like seventh day adventists they they really made a fair trial impossible and I'm afraid that happened too with George Pell. It just made it impossible. And so I think rather than George Pell having a lot to answer, the media has a lot to answer. For the way that they conducted themselves and for the way they
0: influenced the um, the events of the trial. It's interesting. One of Cardinal Pell's crimes was that he was a conservative uh, or arch-conservative as... <laughs> Yes. as it 's often said it 's funny there don 't seem to be any arch progressives anywhere <laughs> only only arch conservatives yes. Yes. Uh, and that was also part of his crime. He not only stood for the Roman Catholic Church for the institutional child abuse he not only had he not only carried that as the representative of that but within Catholicism he was a fairly straight up and down orthodox conservative Catholic, and that also made him on the nose
1: as far as elements of our media are concerned. Yes, it's a combination of, the of conservatism and of media. That is, he was not a good media performer. It was quite stiff and kind of formal in the way he spoke often on the media. Yes, they don't select, well, I hope they don't select cardinals on the basis of good media performers. You don't have to be a good-looking person to be a cardinal. But you do have to be a good-looking person to be on television today. Uh, an ugly journalist has little chance of being a public performer. Uh, and so, especially when you put him in a courtroom or in a royal commission where every word counts, the media presentation of him was negative. But it's, it's more, I was very more, on a more profound level, So many of the journalists are postmodern in their view of language. They want to speak truth to power because they believe power biases people so that they are not speaking uh, the truth. They are constantly misrepresenting themselves. And so the journalists are very keen on on showing how power biases people, but the journalists don't seem to understand that they themselves are powerful and that they don't apply the same rigour to their own statements as they do to other people. So, I mean, one of the newspapers I read has a series of articles each week, each day, which calls opinion pieces, as if all the rest of the newspaper is not opinion, that there's objective reporting and there's opinion. But the objective reporting is not objective and the opinion places, they don't actually tell you what their opinion is, where their bias is. So you read this article, you've got no idea whether the person is married seven times or married only once or not married at all, but they give views on sexual morality. And the the opinion is given as if it is an objective opinion, as if, it can stand alone without reference to its author.
0: In other words, it's your priors and your desire for power and your motives, they affect you and really explain what you're saying. I don't have to listen to the argument you're saying because I know you're just defending your position. But somehow my position, my priors, my commitments, my <laughs> motives, my power, no, that doesn't...
1: Yes. That's,
0: I'm blind to that completely. Yes, completely blind to it. Which
1: is, which is, see, Cardinal pill was a cardinal. He was a Roman Catholic. His position was perfectly clear, <laughs> rather than the journalists whose opinion is never clear. He wore,
0: he wore fancy colourful clothes to demonstrate to everyone exactly what his position was at all times. <laughs> exactly. he, you could never had any doubt as to no. who he was and what he stood for. No.
1: You, you look up a Wikipedia article, it will tell you what he stands for. You look up a Wikipedia article on a journalist never tells you what they, doesn't tell you about their family life, their personal life, that doesn't tell you about their background. Their commitments and so Their commitments, no. And so he was, a, he was a Catholic cardinal. And whatever else, he was true to his profession. But that's why he was called a conservative, because he was true to Roman Catholicism. But I do I know about you, Tony, but I think the word conservative is just a word of abuse. It's just a term of abuse, in much the same way that I think progressive is a term of abuse. Uh, if, if, if I'm anti-progressive and I'm talking to you and you're anti-progressive, we can say, oh, yeah, he's just a progressive. It doesn't actually tell you what he is or anything about him. It's just he's not us. He's one of them. Well, conservative is the same thing. If we're both progressives and... We don't like that person. We say, "Well, he's a conservative." It's just a, a label of abuse. And you say, "The question is, what is the person conserving, or what is the person? Where is the person progressing to?" That's what's important. Whether they're progressing or conserving, that's an irrelevance. If you're conserving good things, you're good. If you're progressing to good things, it's good. But we think these labels are something meaningful when I just think they're just rude, frankly.
0: And putting the, the little moniker arch in front of it is just a way of <laughs> yes. of adding to the to the uh, rudeness of it. it you're, a, you're a really yeah. bad conservative. You're ultra-conservative. You're kind yes. of beyond the pale. Uh, Cardinal Pell's conservatism was a conservative Catholicism, and he was known for that within Roman Catholic circles. Yes. And his recent critique of the current Pope, Francis really goes down that line. There's that fight between conservatives and liberals slash progressives
1: within Catholicism, as there is within Protestantism. Yes, and he was saying, if I've understood him correctly, and I I had three conversations with him over the years at different times, different places, and and my understanding of what he was saying, uh, to me anyway, was that Catholicism and Christianity actually was an objective truth Things happened. Jesus did live. He did die. He did rise again. And we determine what the truth of Christianity is by the teachings of Jesus, not by what is acceptable to the world today. We don't reshape the teachings of Jesus to fit in with the world. If Jesus was God, then what he thinks about us is more important than what we think about Jesus. And the idea that we can somehow accommodate Jesus to fit in with the 21st century is a distortion of Christianity and a distortion of Catholic teaching. And so he, he was trying to conserve the authentic message of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he was trying to conserve. Well, I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. I think it's a right thing to do. So you were saying to me before that you, you
0: found yourself having a chat with Cardinal Pell at the back of uh, St Andrew's Cathedral one day.
1: Hmm. So did you end up as great friends and decided you just basically agreed about things? Uh, Those two things are not the same. Uh, I can be a friend with someone I disagree with. You'll be glad to know that, Tony. So where did you... get? We can still have friendship, Tony, even when we disagree. (laughs) Um, uh, Yes, we agreed about certain things and we disagreed about certain things, you see. I'm a Protestant and he is a Roman Catholic, and those two have profound disagreement. But both of us agreed that there is an authentic Christianity that we are seeking to uphold. I had enormous respect for him. Uh, He was an intelligent man. In his conversations with me, he was friendly, uh, warm in as much as, you know, men talking together about serious things express warmth, and he was certainly well educated, and it was an interesting conversations we had together on the times we spoke. But he is what he stood for, or he was what he stood for. He was a Roman Catholic cardinal, and as such, uh, he rejected Protestantism. Just as I am what I stand for, a Protestant, and therefore I reject Roman Catholicism as the true understanding of Christianity. You see, he rejected the Reformation. He rejected the ultimate authority of the Scriptures over the Church. He saw the Church was the definer of the Scriptures. And as such, he rejected justification by faith alone. He was a man who was committed to. Catholicism. Well, since the Reformation, Catholicism has done other things. They've accepted in the 19th century the immaculate conception of Mary. They've accepted the uh, authority of the Pope in terms of infallibility under certain circumstances. In the 20th century, they accepted the bodily assumption of Mary. As a Roman Catholic cardinal, I had no doubt that those things were all things that Cardinal Pell was committed to. I think they're all wrong, every one of them. But that I think they're wrong doesn't mean I lack respect for him or lacked friendship towards him. I did respect him. I, I wouldn't call him a friend. We didn't meet often enough to know that. Last week up at Church Missionary Society, ran their annual summer school up at Katoomba. It was a great week. In it, there was an Italian speaker, Leonardo de Chirico, and... He gave a terrific address on the Tuesday night, I think it was, of the convention. I'm sure you could download it from CMS. They'll have their talks up there. We'll put the link to it in the show notes. Oh, that'd be good. Because he gave a terrific talk about Catholicism, having grown up in the heart of of Catholicism in Italy himself. But as a Christian, as an evangelical Bible believer, he showed the difference between the gospel via Roman Catholicism and the gospel that has been held firm for the last 500 years in Protestantism and the fact that they are in contradiction to each other and an idea that, oh, well, the Reformation's all over, we all now agree on things, that kind of watering down the validity of truth, Cardinal Pell would not have approved of, nor do I approve of.
0: One of the, the ironies of, of Cardinal Pell's position and the Roman Catholic position generally is uh, he was critical of the modern tendency to accommodate the truth of God to human reason, to human trends, to humanity. That is, to, to subject in some way the teachings of Christ to a human standard. Whereas looked at from another perspective, that that's really the problem of Catholicism itself that it subordinates the teachings of Christ in Scripture to a human standard, in this case, a human church. And in many ways, when you look at the kind of things you've mentioned, the authority of the Pope as opposed to the authority of Scripture, the participation of Mary in salvation as opposed to the sole mediation of Christ, the justification by faith in the work of Christ alone, in contrast with the contribution of our merits and works to salvation. In each case, it's the creature, it's the human participating in contributing to uh, salvation and authority in a way that actually undermines the sole authority and grace and place of Jesus. Uh, And so it's interesting how, in some ways, the era of Catholicism is another version of the modern era that Cardinal Pell himself would have criticised.
1: Yes, Yes you're right because ultimately theological arminianism places humans at the center rather than God and Roman Catholicism is another case another example of of arminianism as of course theological liberalism and rationalism is a case of arminianism
0: so coming back to our conversation then with our friend who's asked us about Cardinal Pell. Where we've kind of come to towards the end of this conversation really is we've come towards some of the foundational and fundamental aspects of the gospel itself. Is that where you'd like to finish or where you like to get to in, in talking with someone about Cardinal Pell?
1: Always. But of course it depends on the relationship as to how I would be throwing out the one-liner or the two-liners to, to initiate more conversation. But that's where I want to wind up. I want to wind up saying Whether he's a good man or a bad man, whether your view of him was that or not, in the end, he stood for a view of Christianity that didn't make the gospel clear.
0: And that's our goal, is it, as we speak with people, is to make the gospel clear. And if talking about Cardinal Pell in a respectful and kind of thoughtful way that we've tried to explore today helps us do that, well, we must pray that we have those opportunities to, to talk with people.
1: Yes, and not avoid them. It's a it's a conversation starter that's out there, and it's going to continue to be out there for some time yet.
0: Well, that might be a good place to round off our conversation. It, it's been great to talk again, Philip. Thanks for, for all those thoughts about Cardinal Pell, and I hope you've enjoyed, dear listener, this conversation, and it's given you a model and some thoughts, not only to think through your own response to these recent very significant events in, in our culture, but the way you might react and respond to friends and family and others that you speak to. About these kinds of issues. Uh, as always, if you've got questions or comments or thoughts about today's episode, just get in touch. You can send me an email at at me.com. Uh, and please also share the word around. You can flick the link to uh, this episode, this podcast, to your friends and those at church and so on to also uh, keep the conversation going. Uh, let's round off, as we always do, Philip, by praying. Would you lead us in prayer?
1: Yes, certainly. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity of thinking more about your Son and the Gospel and how we may use the current affairs of our society to be able to point to the Lord Jesus Christ and his saving work for us. And we pray that you would help us to do this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.